Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Does it, does it ever get, like, it comes to a threshold and then that... <laughs> kind of. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna be redoing our kitchen like in the next three weeks. So for that reason, I've been like, oh, I, like we haven't been buying more stuff, and like I've tried to sit down on projects. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's just um, sorry. That's okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, and I might grab other bits, but that's all I can think of right now. So you said you're you're getting ready to move, or no? We're um gonna redo our kitchen. Oh, cool. Yeah, just because like we apparently this kitchen wasn't hasn't been like redone in like probably fifteen years, oh, right. okay. um, and the previous people who owned this place clearly didn't cook much. Um, just like you know, just, I just feel like it's not well thought through certain yeah. elements of it. Um, yeah, this this one is good. Oh, okay. Apologies if the dogs are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to um, right. So today I am with Ken Jay in his beautiful kitchen, surrounded by pickles and ferments. Um, what are the names of the dogs? Uh, we have Susie and Momo. Um, Susie is the shy, staffy cross eating her tail at the moment. And Momo's a French bulldog amusing himself. Um, but yeah, they are, they add to the the, the energy and, li- and liveliness of this of this fermented household. Right. So um, yeah, maybe maybe just start by talking me through what we've got. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, I guess the stuff that I brought out for you are primarily koji-based ferments. Um, so yeah, I mean, some of them are more traditional, like kinzanji miso which um, is a combination of koji grown on soybean, rice, and barley. Um, it's a, it's a, you, can, you can smell it, you can try it. Um, it's something that people always say is like a seasonal ferment because it's, it's pretty much use whatever vegetables are in season and it changes. Okay. Um, I was actually thinking to Haruko-san, 
um, of, uh, I forgot her company's name, but Haruko um, up north, who's a koji expert. Um, I was talking to her about it, and they're usually incredibly sweet. So it's unusual for men that there is some sugar in it, but traditionally there's a bunch of honey. It's slightly alcoholic now. Um, but while it's a miso, um, it's eaten kind of similarly to like natto in that it's like an accompaniment to rice as a side dish. Wow, that's so good. It's so mild. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And it's always been really mild. Um, I also made a separate one using like seasonal fruits, but that got a bit funky. So um, I think that's hiding somewhere to see if I can repurpose <laughs> that. But yeah, no, that's been a, that was a fun one. But yeah, so I do some traditional ones and I always have probably five to seven different soy traditional misos because of the workshops I teach. This is like, it looks like a fruit salad. It does, right? <laughs> like a really old school fruit salad, like 1970s a bit. And so it's, you've got rice koji in there. Rice koji. You also inoculated the soybeans. Exactly, and barley koji. So it uses all three types of koji. Well, three main types per se. Um, and actually the koji that I use for is, is for Kinzanji miso. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, you know, particularly for that. Sorry for the dog noises. That's okay. Um, and, um, and then you cook the vegetables you've got in there or you just put them in, in they're, raw? They're, yeah, they're pretty much raw. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, you know, obviously that's fermenting with it. Um, yeah, and I think I left it at room temperature for maybe two to three, two to three weeks. I always kind of am a bit liberal with that. Um, and then it moved into the fridge. Um, so it was getting a bit alcoholic. But you know, it's a good one. It's an interesting one. So you do it like a sauerkraut, like 2% salt? or um, I want to say a slightly less than 2%, but um, essentially it's salt, sugar, median, um, the koji, the three types of koji. And um, that was like kombu's in it. That's traditional ingredient in it. So, so seaweed. Um, but oftentimes, like, and this is something I have to really research in Japanese because there's not much in English about it. Um, oftentimes there's a bunch of honey in it. Okay. Um, but you know, it's a bit too sweet. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one. It's good. And the, cause the character says like, was it gold mountain? Miso. Yeah. I think it's named after, I guess it's named after a temple probably. Okay. Golden mountain temple. I think it's from Kanazawa maybe. Um, so yeah, so oh, I think nice. it's like a regional miso. Yeah. So the other kind of more interesting ones that I like to play around with are just, you know, making amino pastes. This is like different things. This is a beautiful color. Oh, uh, this is shrimp paste, yeah. Oh, wow. so this was 20% salt, no, 20% koji of the way, and 2% co- uh, salt. Yes, yeah, so this is purely just the shrimp heads and um, bodies oh, wow. of, of um, tiger prawns. Yeah, and like, honestly, it was really cool. So for those that are listening, it's, it's kind of like a kind of like a very retro, like it's a salmon color, but it was, yeah, yeah. A, initially it was disgusting, right? It was just like, dark gray and muddy but within a few days it just complete with like almost within maybe 48 hours it just changed that color wow it's been consistently that pink so yeah, it's like a salmon pink yeah so I, i'm undecided as to what i want to do with it i think i might sorry the yeah? shrimp heads and tails they were cooked before they're raw Oh wow! Yeah, so completely raw. Yeah, so I so yeah, which is why I mean yeah, try actually haven't tried it, but uh, so so you can you can you can do the honors, but um yeah, initially I was I want like I was gonna make like a shrimp sauce to so strain it, but this is as you'd expect it was a compl- it was a very active ferment. Yeah. Um, like it was quite gross in the wow. initial period. Is it good? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I think I'm gonna treat it just like as a you know normal shrimp paste, uh, maybe for some kimchi or just like Southeast Asian things. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so I <laughs> I haven't really played around too much with, um, how with far like... Is, how far is the hospital? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
no idea, actually. Yeah, so that's, that's been a fun one. I haven't really played around with too many meat ferments, though, just because I was kind of risk-averse to doing that. But I've made, I've made fish sauce before as well, which is somewhere. Um, similar, I think it was, what is this, 20% rice koji, 2%, 12% salt, not 2% salt. Um, yeah, so that was, a, that was a fun I'm one. I'm definitely going to try and make that. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, I assume, I mean, obviously using cooked would be great, but... I think it seems to have cooked them perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like the color, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so clearly, proteins were messed with. Um, but yeah, no. So that was a fun one. Um, these other guys, um, yeah. So I mean, in terms of the more untraditional ones, so you know, all in the aim of being zero waste and whatnot, a beetroot miso, which again, just whole roasted. There's obviously oil, a little bit of oil when I roasted it with allspice and cumin. I, I very rarely season my misos or my amino pastes for whatever reason, but this one's been really fun and also really, um, really good with, um, mm. like I've used it in a borscht. Um, I've, I've um, kind of seasoned or cured salmon in it, which is really nice. Um, so some cool applications with this one. Yeah, it's got a really um, nice earthy. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like sometimes beets can get too earthy, mm. but yeah, with the allspice and cumin, um, just thought I'd be, I was really just imagining borscht, honestly, when I was making this. Yeah, yeah. But this has been a good one. Um, beetroot, uh, beetroot, butternut miso. So again, as you'd expect, just everything going into it. Um, this is from February 2021. So fairly old now. I have another batch going somewhere. Um, um, but yeah, pretty color. It's good. Um, I haven't yet done this. I've been saying that I've been wanting to do this for so long. But I think this autumn, I want to make like a custard tart. With that, I think that'd be absolutely delicious. Oh, wow, yeah. But honestly, my, one of my favorite things I've made with this is making, like, mm. dolls. Because I know you make pumpkin miso, but essentially using, like, um, like making dolls and Indian stuff, but using this as kind of the backdrop of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. Um, actually, I really like using amazake in doll as well. I do that quite often. Kind of just, like, you know, mellows everything in a really nice yeah, way yeah. and adds that sweetness. How do you say, sorry, does it say butternut? Yeah, batanatsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also love making labels um, for the ground. Yeah, so uh, so those have been some of the fun ones. This has been one, um, one of my favorite ones, actually. And this is kind of, you know, I'd leftover barley miso and I wanted something to do with it. Um, so essentially just kind of combining the concepts for chimichurri and um, konzuri, which is like a type of hot sauce, or like kind of uh, chili paste from the north of Japan where they use koji. Um, so I figured, like, why not combine those two concepts? Because I never actually really add koji to hot sauces. And this has been one that I think will be, um, that will be really, really good. There um, yeah, no, I think, and this one is, this one um, is really good with, like, grilled meat. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, like with bosom or, you know, any type of grilled meat, lettuce, rice, yeah, yeah. wrap type situations really spicy um but i've been really pleased with that one so i want to remake it at some point it's called kanzuri yeah kanzuri and just like combining it with a chimichurri flavor profile wow, so yeah. really hot but um you can see that there's some fun things happening there a spicy yeah, yeah it's well, spicy is that like lime you say lime rind i'm tasting yeah so i think i need to uh check my notes but i actually want to say there was just lime lime juice in it oh wow. um so you know i think there was like coriander um, parsley, chili, barley, koji, um, and green chili, and maybe lime juice. I don't think there was any zest or... Wow. Yeah, it, it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. Um, so that's been good fun. 
Um, yeah, and then this guy has been an interesting one. Um, not sure if I made it correctly, but it's a it's a Taiwanese ferment. Um, actually, Pao was the one who kind of inspired me or suggested I do this because I had all this leftover soybean koji, which I just did not really know what to do with it. Um, yeah, so it's a great one. It's um, just salt, um, soybean koji, and pineapple. Traditionally, you can see the one up there. You don't put anything, I think, in it. Um, such as soybeans and pineapple. But um, I think this is my preferred one, throwing some chili into it. I think traditionally you make like um, like winter melon soup out okay. of it, which I have not done. Um, but this has been a really, really nice one. You can try it. It's, it actually smells fairly alcoholic now. Um, but it's it was very salty. It's probably mellowed quite a bit out. It smells fruity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's nice because I, I, I rarely actually use fruit in my ferments, oddly. Um, yeah, have a full pineapple if you want. Yeah, oh. <laughs> good luck. Um, but yeah, I think like, you know, these are the nice types of like sides for, um, you know, um, with rice. Spicy? Spicy, but those are so boozy. <laughs> so what? Boozy. Boozy. Alcohol. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's really boozy. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, so I think um, a lot of fun applications probably. It's like on a Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or like something with like pork. Yeah. I think that would work out really well. Yeah, so I think a lot of these are kind of koji-based things. Um, yeah. Um, and the other fun thing is, um, so I do a lot of kombucha-related stuff, and I always have too much kombucha. So this is a kind of a, I guess, continuous ferment, per se, of um, kind of um, equal parts sugar and citrus, and like any leftover citrus, so be it juice, lemons from cooking, limes from GNTs and just kind of all goes in here um, um, and just kind of feed it with um, sugar and it becomes this lovely lovely simple syrup which I use for pretty much everything I use it in like ponzu for like Japanese things I use it often in cocktails um, it's really good just with you know soda water um, but yeah it's, it's again a really nice kind of zero waste thing because even if we're just juicing something like a lemon I always just chop up most of the skin and it goes directly in here Amazing. Um, but yeah, smell it. It's quite um, fragrant. Wow. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Um, and again, just the idea of using kom uh, kombucha as the starter culture in this. So you, your first bit is like kombucha vinegar as the base. Or, or not even kombucha Sorry. Yeah, so it's generally kombucha. Um, but I always have kombucha vinegar since everything is over ferments in my life um so yeah i just kind of throw it in but i usually just kind of top it up just so it's kind of submerged a bit but yeah no this is a good oh, one yeah. and something oh, that so... i think it's really nice and obviously you can make it as sweet or as um not sweet as you want but this has been going on since 2020 this entire guy yeah yeah uh, which is really nice and i think what i want to ultimately do with a lot of the citrus pieces are um like canning them uh -huh. um, for maybe something Christmassy or Christmas pudding of that sort um, or like so, yeah. a Chinese American like orange chicken I think would be this would be delicious in that oh that'd be so good yeah so this is like layered it's like layers and layers of lemons and oranges and limes all stacked up in this um, kombucha syrup. exactly exactly yeah and I mean you could do the same thing in many ways it's kind of like a Korean chong which is, um, you know, when you just create like a syrup from just like sugar and the fruit. Okay. Um, so I think that's kind of maybe the the um, inspiration for this guy. But again, just throwing in a culture to help accelerate everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
So those are some of the some of the things. I did. I saw this on your profile. That looked fun. Yeah. So this guy was an interesting one. I've had I've had a rough ride with vinegar. <laughs> I would say, um, you know, Kamsis. I've I've just always had really bad luck. Um, but it wasn't really until um, Chris and Shockey's uh, um, vinegar book that I kind of really understood some more of the science behind it because I have no science background. Um, yeah. So luckily, with just spritzing with vodka. That lowered the pH to the extent to which they just became a hospitable environment for vinegar to really form. So you can see a few mothers kind of just organically appearing. Um, but yeah, kiwi vinegar was a fun one. Um, you know, similar concept with any vinegar you make. You know, add sugar, fruit, and that was purely just that you can smell it. I don't know how um, kiwi intense intense it'll be, um, if at all. That you juiced a couple of kiwis, or um, just blitz them entirely. So um, oh, for wow. the so yeah, so just the whole fruit, sugar, um, no promises as to what that tastes like. Um, just yeah, just the fruit, sugar, blitz that, um, constantly stirring and just essentially ensuring that it doesn't start molding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then once um, kind of the active initial fermentation was over, just move into a different jar. Um, at that point, it was alcohol. Um, and then just letting the acetobacter do its thing. No, that's really nice. It's like a really mild um, kiwi hug. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, like I, I, I haven't had too like I do have a few like you know apple scrap vinegars and a few like um, just like fruit scrap vinegars, but they've never been. I've never been so impressed by them. I usually use them for like honestly Japanese things uh-huh. because you know like a mild like you know rice vinegar type of impact. So oftentimes with like Japanese pickles, I'll use homemade vinegars because I think it's not as um, intense as some of the commercial ones. Um, and rice vinegar can be expensive, so I opt for homemade. Yeah, no, I, re- I love how um, <clears throat> homemade vinegar is much more mild than like your distilled vinegar is, is so powerful. Exactly. Like... And there's obviously a time and place for all those guys, but you know, some of them, um, some of them, yes, aren't always what you want. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I just had like a butternut squash that needed a home. So that's, um, <laughs> so this is more of a pickle, right? So this, or this is a pickle. Um, I use some like um, gin that I had um, infused with lemongrass and Seville oranges. Um, I think there's some normal white vinegar because I want to be sure that like the acidity was good enough. And then I think I threw in some kombucha as well with um, gochugaru, ginger, and some chilies. Uh, don't know, don't know. I made this recently. So you, yeah, you try. Um, and you just like um, slice the butternut really. Yeah, really so thin. just mandolin then, and yeah, and I, yeah, unsure. I think it needs a bit more time. Um, I like the garlic. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, I think it's kind of leaning towards kind of the Korean taste profile because of the gochugaru and the ginger and garlic, and clearly see what was on my mind. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like I just don't, um, I often just kind of uh, do like normal fermentation versus pickling. Um, and I do miss kind of, you know, vinegar based things. Like that's what I kind of grew up with, um, in terms of accessibility in America. Um, this guy, I don't know. I think he's, I think it's a bit too over fermented right now, but our garden is always, um, you can see there's a trend of over fermentation. Um, our garden is always infested actually with a three cornered leek, um, which isn't a bad problem to have which is like um, um, wild garlic, but just like another form of it. Um, yeah, so I always forage that from our backyard um, around this time of the year. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's um, it's good, it's good. You can try some. 
um, if you want. But um, yeah, so again, just kind of kim- kimchi-fying everything, um, <laughs> which, you know, generally, generally works. Um, yes, that's been around mm. for a while. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's still really mild. Yeah, no, it's, it, that's a good one. So pleased with that. Um, and I think I'm generally going to make this most years. Usually I like, do like, you know, pesto and stuff. Yeah. That's been a good one. Um, yeah, and, and some other guys, which actually, this was kind of a random selection of things. This one, so, and I'm actually going to be posting about this soon. Uh, I always wanted to make Benny Shoga at home. So, you know, like the red strips of, uh, like, you know, ginger that you have with, like, yakisoba or konomiyaki. Okay. Um, but I never, I never buy it. Traditionally, you obviously use, um, like, very young ginger, um, which I don't know where to buy that. Um, so I use just, you know, mature ginger, just cut it as, as thin as possible. But what I did to be a bit different with this, because I always wanted to be a sweetness with, um, cause normally you use kind of um, umezu, which is um, plum vinegar. And that's, that's what gives it that red color. Okay. Um, but this guy, um, I use a rhubarb shrub that I made probably four years ago, um, which is still <laughs> really, really sweet, really intense. Um, I kind of think I should have blitzed up the rhubarb to kind of give it more, um, more of a universal flavor. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite intense. Um, but I think for what I want out of this pickle, um, it's achieving that, right? So really intense, kind of that burn and heat of ginger. Because, you know, if you sprinkle it on a konomiyaki or yakisoba, it kind of, yeah. that does that. And I think for me, so many of my ferments, just because, you know, when I teach workshops, people are like, oh, do I have to buy this? Do I have to buy organic? Do I need to like buy all this fancy equipment? 99% of the time you don't. Right, I think you know very much like use what you have. Obviously, if you have Chinatown next door to you, take advantage of that. But you know, like this normal ginger from the grocery store works. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to know how to kind of manipulate it in the right way. And actually, speaking of that, that's the rhubarb shrub, um, which um, is good. It's good. It's um, really vinegary as you expect. I think this was with um, just commercial vinegar. That was a problem because I made that ages ago before I started making vinegar. But that's a nice guy. So this um, is like distilled vinegar, rhubarb, and, and yeah. I want to say, I want to say, it's exactly that. Yeah, it, could, it actually might be um, red wine vinegar too. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been around for a very long time um, and good. Like I, we've made cocktails out of that. It works really well. Um, variation on, on a martini. Um, but yeah, I think it's a nice way to preserve rhubarb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this last one, this was in my quest of what the hell do I do with all my soybean koji. So this, and again, I'm really not sure what I think of this. I need to, I don't even remember what's in it. But this is soybean koji, um, um, polbi bear, um, and... Who, sorry? Polbi bear. So that's like that Turkish, like, chili. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like gochugaru. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, um, yeah, it's that, and, um, um... I think there's something else in it, but I don't remember what it is. But yeah, I, I have not tried that, um, but it looks cool. Um, but I think I think I was kind of going for like a like a gochujang inspired thing, using soy koji as as the as the kind of the inspiration for it. Mm. Yeah, so it's um. That's really good. Oh, you know what? There's lemon in it. I think yeah, there's yeah. lemon in it. Preserved lemon or uh, like... normal lemon? Yeah, normal lemon. Um. Yeah, and I think this pretty much we've had stuff, and that's, I feel like most of my fermentation just happens when I'm cleaning up the kitchen at the end of the night, and like, oh shit, I have 
this to use up, but I don't want to freeze it. That's actually really nice. That's really nice, yeah. As in, so you would have put the rind in. Yeah. Well. Um, I think I took a video of this somewhere, and I definitely wrote the notes down. But yeah, I think it's just soybean koji, obviously uh, salt, lemon, and juice, um, the rind, and then like a, a more fruity, a more fruity chili pepper. Because um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to play off the lemon and citrus of what was happening. Um, but yeah, that's a nice one. I'm gonna definitely, I'm gonna definitely do that. Yeah, you yeah. should. You know, it's a good one. Yeah, and I mean, like obviously rice koji would work, but um, this is purely just soybean koji, so not any additional source of protein. Yeah, yeah. No, I've never really played with fermenting citrus, but you've inspired me to. Ooh, that one I'm not sure about. Does that smell like nail polish? Or, but I, I find sometimes the top always does smell a bit like nail polish and then yeah when you let it pass it's yeah so i think yeah so that, that was i think it's that chickpea me so yes yeah, so that's an old chickpea me so uh, i don't know if you want to try it um but it's fine yeah i mean it looks fine but you know i think some of my earliest misos the issue that i had with it was i think just like salt content mm. um and just you know i think it's quite common if you aren't doing the right amount of salt for um, kind of younger ferments, right? Then it can they can start smelling like um, nail polish remover, which is not <laughs> something you want to eat. Um, yeah, and that's just kimchi, which I made recently. Um, so there's nothing really special about that guy. Um, let's see other fun things. Um, <laughs> for for context, the, we've gone through about one one tenth <laughs> or, or less. <laughs> Yeah. You think one one hundredth of what what Kenji has here? Um, there is a separate a separate fridge for um, <laughs> for all of the ferments. Yeah, and it's it's a bit crazy. Um, I'm trying to think what else would be interesting for you to try. So I mean, I have a lot of other amino pastes. Um, you know, using other types of legumes, so like you know, black bean miso. Um, which is a good one, I think, particularly for like just like black bean soup or like you know Mexican types of inspired soups. Um, so like black bean tortilla soup, etc. So that's been really nice to kind of combine combine those elements of it. Um, yeah. Can you um, can you go back in in time and tell me how like, <laughs> how do we get to this point? How do I get to this point? <laughs> Good question. You, well, I, you grew up initially in Japan before this. No, started. no, no. I'm so I'm I'm actually fourth generation Japanese American. So meaning my great grandparents immigrated from Hiroshima back in the 1880s. Um, first to Hawaii, then to California, doing that very you know turn of the century immigrant thing. So, you know, working you know on the railroads, being farmers, etc. Um, so that's kind of my family background. Um, so Japanese ethnically and by blood, but born and raised in Chicago. So, you know, very much with that Midwest upbringing, farmer's markets, my parents, my like both gardeners, my mom really into kind of preserving, so making jams. But, you know, obviously growing up, as I feel like is a common theme for a lot of people who are into fermentation, my grandparents didn't do anything like this. Like I think if they were to know the past, but if they were to know like, oh, I was making my own miso, or making my own shoyu or soy sauce, they'd be very kind of weirded out by that. Kind of, you know, why would you do that? My grandmother used to tell me stories, actually, of, you know, pre-war um, 
a pre-war like Japantown of you know people making natto and dying so you know just like how dangerous it is to ferment at home and like even after like you know even after um the war in the u.s you know they're like oh never make these things at home it's so dangerous etc oh, really? yeah, yeah yeah but i think that's just you know that mentality towards it um because you could get perfectly good products in the store and why would you bother kind of kind of i guess so i mean i don't even know where they were buying natto back in the day like this would be like you know before world war ii yeah. so i don't even know like if that was frozen how they would get it so probably people were just making it and getting sick from it um but yeah so i think for me i always grew up with japanese food for obvious reasons um and food like i think many immigrants especially in my community food is where the entire community was sent was was very much centered on so from my buddhist temple where every single event was driven by food where not surprisingly fermented ingredients were a massive part of it um primarily soy sauce uh meeting um shoyu or soy sauce and miso right so i think that was always a fundamental part of like my upbringing coupled with um like for japanese um new year's is a really big holiday it's kind of like a day on new year's eve day of intensely cooking with your family and then on new year's having a massive open house which is what my family continues to do to this day um and from a young age just because again i grew up in a kitchen and in a family where cooking was always so fundamental um i kind of fell into making the pickles um so you know i actually have this um is, is, I, that, is that like the job that nobody else wants to do or? <laughs> um, um you, perhaps you, yeah or, or is it the job that's like most most revered. <laughs> I know it's most revered, but I think it was actually something that, like, because obviously pickles, you can buy amazing pickles in Japanese stores in Chicago. But I think, you know, for me, it was just like, oh, it's something very, I, it's a project that I can do. Um, and for me, I always liked very, um, arguably very tedious kitchen things. Like, I, like, like, growing up, I always had to, like, from a young age, I was the one in charge of, like, you know, finally chopping, like, burdock root or carrot for, like, very specific dishes. So, you know, beyond honing in those knife skills, I think for me, I just enjoyed that process of just like, you know, I found it, I found it very cathartic as a child, which I still do today. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of the role I fell into. And I think it was mainly because I was like, I want to do this, yeah, yeah. Um, which my parents and grandparents loved. So I think that kind of was the initial like, oh, I'm, I enjoy the process of transformation of what ingredients can be. And, and in Japanese cuisine, skimono or pickles are such a big part of that. They're usually, you know, unlike lacto-ferments or other things, you know, they're usually quite quick pickles, um, you know, just over a few days using, like, contraptions like this, where it's literally just, like, a pressure, um, keeping things down. Um, oh, cool. This is a traditional pickle press. Yeah, I mean, it's it's plastic, so it's not so traditional, but this is what you can often find in Japan. So it's just, like, a plastic container with um, a lid on it that screws down. So, you know, if you're salting, you know, daikon radish or really anything, cabbage, the pressure with the salt will just continue pushing it down and you can screw it more and more. Again. Oh, nice. Um, so it's quite a clever contraption, something looks, that... looks a bit like a salad spinner, but... It does, it does, it really does. Yeah, so that was just something that I was really into as a kid. Then fast forward, um, I guess with life, um, I, like, after graduating university, I traveled quite a lot. Um, like, I first lived in India for two and a half years. You were, sorry, you were at uni in Chicago. I was at uni um, in, um, um, in Rhode Island, so on the oh, east okay. coast of America. Um, then I lived in India for a while, and the thing I missed the most in India was actually kimchi. Um, I couldn't really, this was back in 20, 2011, I really couldn't, um, I really couldn't find any kimchi for sale. 
and those that I could find, it, was, it just wasn't very nice. Uh-huh. Um, so I just started making my own. Um, so that kind of led me to like, you know, realizing that fermentation beyond Japanese pickling, which obviously are two different sides of a similar coin, um, was, was very doable. But then also when I was in India, you know, I really also started using the local ingredients because, you know, I, I could find Chinese cabbage or Napa cabbage, but starting to really play around with like locality um, and the ingredients that, you know, were accessible to me. So, you know, I couldn't really get gochugaru that easily. So using like, you know, Kashmiri chili and other combinations of, oh, of that. What, what was the connection, sorry, between Rhode Island and India? Oh, um, somewhere you wanted to travel to? Yeah, yeah. So I, I studied international relations. So this is like my, my, like my background, not being in food. Um, but I, um, I, um, was just working in India. Yeah, so I was just working in kind of the corporate world a little bit in India. Um, but in yeah, which, in which part? I was in uh, Mumbai. Oh, cool. Yeah, so a really good place to be. Great food. Um, I actually stopped being a vegetarian when I moved to India, ironically, <laughs> because the meat was so good. Um, but yeah, I think that's what kind of made me start to appreciate fermentation, especially in warmer climates, and also just realizing how everything coexists together. Um, you know, environment, temperature, etc. Yeah, so that was that, and then, you know, I after that I lived in um, New York for a bit, um, and then in Hong Kong, which is where I met my husband, um, and now I'm, and that's why I'm in London, um, he's British. Um, oh, okay. Exactly, and then again, so that's been like, so kimchi has been probably my, like, my longest love in terms of traditional <laughs> fermentation, I continue to make this to this day, um, but it was really honestly um, kind of a lockdown thing, where I just kind of, you know, really took the deep dive into fermentation. Um, kombucha I'd been making for a long time, kimchi I'd been making, sauerkrauts I'd been making, but kind of, you know, really going down the additional rabbit hole of koji fermentation. Oh, which you just started that in lockdown. Exactly. So that was something that, you know, it's like, you know, I've appreciate all these products my entire life. I know them, but I have no idea how to make them. Um, so it's a lot of self-study and kind of, you know, really diving headfirst into it. Um, is how I kind of got to where I am today. Um, so it's so to be honest, it's been a pretty recent development for me, but it all kind of makes sense in terms of you know my my family background, what I've enjoyed doing. I think by default as a person, I'm a collector and I like having projects <laughs> coupled with I think you know, and I think there's something very like Zen and Buddhist about this is you know fermentation requires time and kind of observation and kind of that transformation of nurturing, uh-huh. um, which is what I think fermentation is, right? You need to kind of give things time to do its own thing, no, no, um, sure. which is definitely filtered into some of my other hobbies of like, you know, plants and gardening and um, having dogs and all that jazz. Um, so it's all kind of intersected really nicely. Um, but I think for me, you know, so much of my love fermentation comes from, again, how do I bring these more traditional techniques to kind of what I actually just have um, accessible to me? Yeah, yeah. Like one thing that um, when I was talking, when I first was really talking to my parents about fermentation and kind of their memories of their of their parents and grandparents, my grandfather, my mom's dad, after the war, when they moved from the internment camps into back to Chicago, my grandfather started making. Um, and also growing up for my mom, um, like nuka azuke, um, but using oatmeal, for example, like oh, literally really? just like Quaker oats um, to create that kind of lacto bed for fermentation. Um, you know, and I think that's what I like to really apply or what I try to develop is, you know, 
what do I have? What's, you know, very British or what's, you know, seasonal, what's accessible, but trying to apply, you know, these other techniques or global traditions to more local yeah, yeah. Um, and accessible things because, you know, you know, carbon footprint's already large enough, right? So yeah, try yeah, to reduce yeah. that a bit. And sorry, so you mean because of the, was it due to the anti-Japanese sentiment during the war that they, they were in? And- yeah, yeah. So essentially, yeah. So essentially after um, Pearl Harbor, all the Japanese Americans on the West Coast. It was, you know, very much just a purely racist policy since it only happened to the West Coast of America. Um, were given like two weeks to pack up their belongings and, and relocate. First to um, first to um, um, assembly centers, which were just converted to racetracks, and then for between anywhere between two to three years in kind of um, prisons, um, outdoor prisons um, in different parts of the US. So all four of my grandparents and all eight of my great grandparents, um, their homes were on the West Coast. So so primarily both um, LA and SF. Um, Then during the war, they lived in Montana, Colorado, um, and, um, and Arkansas. Yeah, this was like a like labor camps. They weren't labor camps, no. Um, but they were, you know, for all intents and purposes, like you know, they wore like prisons in the sense, you know, guard towers, barbed wire, um, essentially just kind of remaking their um, lives there. Um, that's why it's like very much a purely racist policy. Because once they realize, oh, the Japanese Americans aren't really a threat, they're not really spying for the Japanese, um, um, they were able to leave. So the reason why we ended up in Chicago was my great uncle, um, who was uh, one of the older sons, he was able to leave early to go to optometry school. So that was kind of arbitrarily how my family ended up in Chicago, or, you know, to one of my grandparents, because um, that was their escape route, um, and able to leave a bit earlier. But yeah, so... Uh, yes, that's a bit of Japanese American and American history. <laughs> but you know, I think so much of you know fermentation is obviously, especially koji-based things and kind of food memories are tied to that, right? The memories you have of your of your parents, of your grandparents. And one thing that I always like to talk about with people are people's like earliest fermentation memories, because one thing I've noticed, just because I come from like a community of of you know people of color, and most of my friends are you know children of immigrants back in the states that everyone has a very distinct memory associated with, you know, a very strong, you know, kosher pickle or, you know, sauerkraut or miso or fermented, you know, black beans. And I think there's something really universal in a really, like, corny but lovely way that there is a universality surrounding people's relationships with preservation, um, since obviously that's what drives, has driven human survival. Um, So, you know, I think there's something really nice um, and again, universal about that. Yeah, it's such a nice, it's such a nice skill to pass down as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's like um, almost at the foundation of those relationships. Exactly. Yeah. So, so long story short, that's how I'm in London, <laughs> um, and that's how I'm into this, you know, crazy world of fermentation. But it's, but it's been a really, it's been a really lovely one. Um, you know, I think number one, the community is, you know, everyone is just so encouraging. Like obviously the hashtag Koji builds community, like, it, like there's a reason why it's actually a resource. There's a reason why yeah, people yeah. really buy into it. Um, and, um, yeah. And I think the other thing I love about fermentation, which is, I think plays with the fact that I like learning and that I like, you know, like it's definitely a creative outlet as well is that yes, they're definitely experts, right? There are people who are experts, but I feel like everyone is still very much learning uh-huh. and they're humble enough to admit that, uh, which I really appreciate. 
probably unlike other food scenes or other kind of elements of the foodie world where fermentation is very much we're kind of all in this together and we're learning yeah, yeah. Um, and we all have kind of things we've tried out and we can um, all level up with you can you can let them in maybe the, do- the dogs have been um, interned outside <laughs> yeah um, yeah you're right and I think I think it's one of the um, one of the things that keeps you humble is, is the time like the, t- the time it takes to make something is is very humbling you can't rush <laughs> you can't rush anything and oh completely and I so, think yeah and I think that's also the nice thing about it right it's like it's completely trial and error um, and kind of going back to you know the environments in which you're doing things right if it's summertime things happen faster if it's winter in the UK things are slower and it's that kind of knowledge and self and I guess social awareness that informs how you adapt yeah, yeah. Um, which I personally like. I'm I'm a Buddhist. That's how I was raised, and I find that very Buddhist in a way. Like it sounds so cliche, but I feel like you know, being, me being far from home. Like the times that I feel like most like attuned with like my culture and my upbringing is when I'm doing these like you know very monotonous tasks and yeah, just kind yeah. of going through the process of checking in on you know how this miso has developed and you know checking to see. Um, if there's if tamari has formed or you know just seeing like oh there's a lot of mold now why has that happened what I'm going to do to fix that um, and that's incredibly cathartic and I love that yeah and so you almost feel like each um, each project or each visa you do is like a small meditation or I would like say a... so yeah I would say so um, because again each one just because I don't make things in mass mass quantities like I do occasionally um, relatively nothing at a large scale. But they're, they're all different, you know? I think you know, it depends on what, you know... I mean, small changes can impact the final product, um, you know, when it starts. So I think, you know, it's nice to associate something with that. Um, like, you know, I made... My, my parents were visiting recently, and I made miso with my mom, and she'd never seen my fermentation life, you know? <laughs> and just, like, having her, like, smush together the koji and the, and the soybeans and the salt, and it burning her hands, but it's, like, laughing and talking about it. There's something really lovely about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think also in, like, Japan, I've noticed that people, you know, like, a lot of fermentation techniques, or, like, a lot of fermentation traditions, they associate it with, like, a ritual in life. Right, like in Korea, like Kim Jong's, like when everyone makes kimchi together, it's usually a massive communal family activity, um, you know, to do it before the winter. Or, you know, I knew, or like in Japan, people, what I see in the fermentation world in Japan, people often making miso to commemorate the um, 2011 earthquake and tsunami. And there's like, you know, rituals associated with like, I think processing, but also kind of bringing that together. Oh, wow, um, so they're, like, processing grief through... Potentially. I mean, I think it's partially, like, you know, to commemorate and just to, like, you know, remember. But I think because Misa does take time and, you know, you know you're doing something now not to appreciate it tomorrow or to enjoy it that evening, but to see what it's like in six months to a year. Yeah. And I think only in those moments can you really, um, like, process the passage of time um, in a really interesting way, yeah, which yeah. I think, you know, fermentation is unique for that reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is what which is what attracts it, which is why I'm attracted to it. Um, yeah, and even like you know vinegar, right? Like literally, it's coming from or the vinegars that I make, right? It's fruit and sugar. Make that into mush, then becomes alcohol, then becomes vinegar, with a lot of trial and error. And then there's something really nice about that transformative process um, that can easily be done at home. Yeah, no, I lo- I've, I've only just began to experiment with vinegar. It's like a whole nother black hole. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, 
yeah i think i think once you get the hang of it like most things it is a lot easier um for me the main thing was spritzing it with vodka made a big difference um yeah what's um what's next on your on your horizon (laughs) or are you are you scaling back the (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know i mean i think for me what i've always said is that I've been able to develop a lot of knowledge and, you know, I teach workshops fairly regularly um, in my house on miso making and, like, kimchi and sauerkraut. Um, And I've been able to kind of progress a lot, both in terms of my own learning and just, like, kind of networking and meeting people who are passionate about similar things a lot over this two-year period since 2020. Um, But my goal for this year is just to say, like, yes to things, (laughs) Um, which sounds really silly, but I think, like, there's always going to be a reason not to do something, right? So I feel like life is too short, and, you know, I've enjoyed learning as much as I have over a short period, um, and sharing that learnings with others, which is what I get great joy from. So just continuing with that. Um, I don't know where this will take me, um, you know, but I think in the short term, it's just continuing to kind of level up my own learnings, um, sharing what I love to do, both via Instagram, via, you know, the, Ferment- the Fermenters Guild, also, you know, um, the workshops, but, you know, just saying yes to those opportunities that do pop up because yeah. you never know what could be a changer in, um, in one's life. How, um, how, how do you balance your relationship with your ferments and your relationship with your, with your partner? Very interesting question. And it's really funny. I feel like whenever I, I meet up with fermenters, which doesn't happen as much as I want it to happen, there's always like a running joke about like, oh, you know, our partners must deal with so many jars in the house. So, you know, like, oh, we want to save that. Or, oh, we can pickle it. Or, oh, we can ferment it. Um, so I think once I got the second fridge, it definitely got a lot easier. Um, I kind of sold it to my partners. Oh, we can, you know, use it to keep wine cold. We definitely, there's no space for wine in that fridge. So I think um, it's... I think luckily my partner doesn't mind because, you know, it is something I'm really passionate about and like I've clearly invested a lot of time into it. Um, And it's a good outlet for me. Um, But I think if we didn't have a second fridge, there'd be a lot more, many more arguments. Um, Because honestly, our main fridge used to be just packed with jars. Um, And as much as I love that, I can understand why some people might really hate that. (laughs) But it's like that, you know, it's the smells of kombucha and miso. Like I, I think he's very tolerant. He, he um, sounds he sounds very tolerant. Well, <laughs> when I first moved in with um, my partner, we, there was a spare like a small spare bedroom, and I made it into a kombucha brewery, and <laughs> it lasted a couple of months before before it got banned. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think I think you. Yeah, I think partners of fermenters need to be a bit patient with the process. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the good thing going is that, I don't want to say everything, but most of what I make is consumed, yeah, and yeah. it's pretty good, meaning, like, it's nice, and I think, like, if your partner is a foodie, or, like, I hate using that word, but if your partner appreciates food and flavor, then I think it's going to be an okay match. It's all about how you sell it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, as um, long as you're hitting enough home runs. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> because, honestly, sometimes it can be really foul, um, especially given that, like, I, you know, as I said, I often let things ferment for too long and then just, you know, gets past its point. And then there's only so many kimchi pancakes or, you know, so many like kimchi seeds you can eat um, using all the over fermented stuff or, you know, only so much kombucha vinegar, too. Yeah. 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 You're like forcing shots down your room. Oh, completely. I mean, like, to be honest, like it is nice to drink kombucha like that, but time and place, time and place. <laughs> 
No, Kenji, I think that's been um, that's been amazing. Um, I think we've gone over an hour. Oh, cool. But um, thank you so much for your for your time and your knowledge. I I every time I do one of these podcasts, I have to listen back with all of the like cool ideas that that people are are doing because I'm always blown away by like yeah, there's just like an infinity of different things to do with Koji and. I think this this one is definitely what I want to do the kin kinzanji. Yeah, definitely. I also need to learn how to. Is it is it hiragana or katakana? The so this is katakana. So like any like borrowed word. So like that literally says like butternut, batanatsu. So that's in katakana. Okay. Um. Then kanji, so Chinese characters, which you know, and then that's hiragana. So oh, like okay. used for Japanese origin words that aren't using Chinese characters. Right. So you need to learn all three, do you? Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> but, you know, a third? Well, I mean, there's more kanji than hiragana and katakana, so hopefully uh, that'll, okay. that'll be a bit easier for you. Nice. It looks great on the ground with the... <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's all it's all about the ground. Yeah, but honestly, making labels... It's, I think that's why it's a creative outlet, right? It's just nice to do that. Yeah, I know, and it's, especially with, like, practicing your calligraphy and... Yeah. Doing the, the beautiful handwriting for the beautiful condiments. It's a nice... It's a nice addition. Awesome. I know. Thank you. Thank and, you um, for the opportunity. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. We need to try this kimchi now. Yes, we do. We do. I'll get some chopsticks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.